0: It's Tuesday at 8pm, and you're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102fm. You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102fm. Good evening and you're very welcome to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the programme this evening I go out on the road to catch up with our resident wine guru Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants to ask that burning question are we in for a shortage of wine later in the year? In Listowel, Colette O'Connor from Delicious Kingdom and I meet Melanie Hardy from Hardy's Foods and back in West Limerick I travel to D. and M Garden Centre to talk to Ursula Giltonham. Before we hear from tonight's guests, let me tell you how to get in touch with me here at the best possible taste. You can make contact by emailing me, s.noonan at live.ie, or you can tweet me at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. And I'm also on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So there's no doubt that the COVID pandemic has had a major impact on businesses and industries across all sectors. And whilst pubs and restaurants were closed during lockdown, Many of us were content to indulge our love for food and wine at home and thankfully wine deliveries was deemed an essential service and I for one was very grateful to Ron Forrestal for ensuring that I didn't go thirsty at any point. I paid a visit to his depot last week for a catch-up and to find out about what has been going on behind the scenes in the industry. Cheers.
1: Chin chin. Salut. Schlainter. Ron, it's great to see you. How have you been
0: over the past few months?
2: Great, Sharon. It's been a very uh, uh, interesting year, very tough uh, few months when the COVID kicked in. Um, but since the businesses were allowed back open again, it's been, it's been very good. And we can't complain at all.
0: And I'm very curious as to how the vineyards in, in Europe and America are coping with everything that happened in terms of mm. lockdowns in those various different countries. What impact did that have on growing of grapes, for example?
2: Well, it depends. It really depends on what country you were talking about. Some of the countries are affected pretty badly um, and they tend to be the more European Um, France, Germany, um, Spain at some point, and Italy maybe in Italy. Uh, The South American, uh, Chile, Argentina were pretty good, it didn't have much effect on their production, they still managed to work. Um, Australia had more problems, Uh, probably the worst in New Zealand, uh, because they had complete lockdowns, which meant that no stock was moving in or out. Um, they just the way these these um, uh, vineyards work is they, they're selling wine for uh, when they're picking grapes that wine probably is not sold for 9 to 12 months so that was their issue really that it just wasn't getting out of the country when they needed to and you had a backlog and the fact that the restaurants you look at all over the world within a 10 week period most every restaurant in the world closed which is just phenomenal that's just how do you replace that so,
0: and I suppose people, whenever they think about wine, they don't really think about the fact that it's it starts with farming. Like growing grapes yeah. is is farming. So, whether you're growing corn or you've yeah. animals to keep, like there's a lot of cost there. And if you can't get the grapes picked, well then, like Absolutely. that's a huge impact on your bottom line.
2: Well, see if you take take a a vineyard in France, for example, and take a kind of high end, you know, a bottle of wine you buy in a shop for. 12, 14, 15 euros, that kind of price. Um, This vineyard can't be left alone for a few hours. It it needs constant work. uh, That's constant pruning. That is, that you'd have on a standard vine, you might have 10 or 12 bunches of grapes. They may cut off two or three of those to ensure that the other eight uh, are premium quality. But if you don't have somebody walking around looking at that, saying that that one needs to go, that bunch needs to go, And that doesn't happen, then the quality, the whole quality of the wine goes down. And what we're seeing happening is that a lot of the, so you have a a company who produce uh, maybe 25 different wines. um, Maybe five, six are very entry-level ones, and then the rest are more premium, move up in price. We're finding that they have much more volume of the entry-level ones because the quality may not have been there this year. And it's a real work thing. And some smaller vineyards weren't affected at all because they'd be very family-orientated and they had the time. It's the bigger ones that are really affected a bit more. So it'll be very interesting to see what the Bordeaux report is um, on 2020 when it uh, when it comes out in next March or April. It'll be very interesting to see what the people's reaction to the wines that were actually produced are like.
0: So whenever you look at the quantity and the quality always have an impact on the price, so if there's less of a particular wine that is a good quality, it's probably going to be quite expensive.
2: Yeah, it'll probably be um, a little bit more expensive. There are other issues that uh, people's uh, carbon footprint for wine has dropped significantly, so you'll notice now even if you go to a supermarket here, you'll notice there's much more European product on the shelves than there would have been before because it was difficult to ship from south america from australia uh, new zealand uh, south africa so you'll find that there's more european product there and more french because france is the easiest closest least cost and things kept moving effectively all the time we were lucky that our industry was uh, seen as a as a necessity so we managed to um, stay trading all through that time well I'm sure
0: yeah (laughs) there's a lot of people now that obviously there has been a huge shift from the the drinking in the pubs because you can't drink in a pub Mm. unless it has food and though that's changing now in the next couple of weeks so there was definitely more drinking at home and like I know personally I was prepared to spend more on good quality wine to have at home
2: ah, yes absolutely. we found that as well and even we found it for the restaurants when the restaurants have reopened uh, the average spend on wine is going up um, that's because it's probably more of an occasion than it used to be whereas before you might have gone out in a two week period you may have had dinner twice in that time uh, now it may be once a month uh, due to the fact that it's a bit more difficult to get in there but when you're out you're actually out so the difference between spending twenty two euros on a bottle of wine and spending thirty may not seem as, as much of a stretch as it used to be. Which is great, yeah, because
0: yeah. it's mad to think that people go to a restaurant and they'll they'll spend thirty or forty euros on a bottle of wine if they're in a the restaurant, but if they walked into a, a wine merchant or a mm. supermarket and they saw a bottle of wine at thirty or forty quid, like they'd they'd be less inclined to put their hand in the pocket for that. But just think about mm. the quality of the bottle of wine that you would get for that 30 or 40 euros
2: ah yes and I've said it before i have said it before like it's 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 my my opinion but anything that's under 10 euros bottle in, in a shop is is either exceptionally good value or it's very questionable really uh you need to be spending 10 12 14 euros a bottle and the difference in quality is phenomenal for those couple of euros just phenomenal so um, when you take all the VAT and the duty into the into the equation from the Irish um, um, excise duty is just ferocious. So it's um, It's worth thinking about I know that's that you know You see the offers and you see the half price offers and but I think it's just worth to shop around a bit and look to see What you're getting and by all means go to Europe like go to Italy, Spain, France and look at them look at those sections
0: With any business, whenever it comes to challenges in the market, the marketing side of things is very important. So a few years ago, we were all getting very worried because there was going to be a shortage of Prosecco, which Mm -hmm. fortunately did not come to fruition, but it did drive the price up. Can you see something similar happening with wine now?
2: It's... um It's probably, you're going to find your products that were probably selling for 14 or 15 euros in a shop. will probably see a little sneak up in price, you'd imagine. Uh, I'd say that the more budget products probably won't be affected a great deal. Um, It all depends on what happens in the next few months. Uh, Christmas is going to be an absolute key time for for our business, for restaurants, for shops as well. It's going to be a real uh, interesting time for them. Um, And see what we are seeing happening is that there's been actual shift really in people's um, um, entertaining and the pubs are finding it difficult enough. Um, their new setups are very labor intensive, they're very costly, um, and it's 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 hard to know if the if the profit will be there in order to keep sustain them long term and that's a real, real problem. And people have become very um, um, you know they've looked at their gardens at home and they've looked at their houses and they've thought this is actually a pretty nice setup you know we can entertain here maybe in small groups and have and we just hope that people will return to the restaurants again and, and give them a chance.
0: Yeah, the additional costs there from cleaning, or if you do need extra people because of the table mm. service, and then of course the hand sanitizer. And we've seen a number of the gin companies innovating, mm. and well, not just gin companies, but alcohol companies who are now making the hand sanitizer.
2: Yes, yeah. Well, it was just an obvious choice for them because um, the alcohol content uh, on Han Santa needs to be seventy plus percent. I think is the is the figure. So you had these, uh, particularly the gin. The, the, the other distilleries would find it a bit more difficult, the whiskey ones, because that's a much more long term um, uh, endeavour. But the the gin companies turn around gin relatively quickly in the space of you know a week. They can turn a, um, alcohol into into um, a bottled gin, which means they have alcohol. Uh, on site and there's uh, the alcohol used for medicinal purposes has a zero duty Um, and has an additive that's that's put into the alcohol which means that if you drink it you'll be very ill Uh, which is good because you can't have 70% or 80% alcohol going around uh, uh, that you never know what people will do so the um, so they had a way of producing it Uh, they just need to get some packaging and most of them have done that and they've found it's worked pretty well yeah it's pretty good
0: yeah, there's a huge range of them from all yeah, parts yeah.
2: of the country. Yeah, we use one from from um from Carsevine, uh in Dingle or in uh, Kerry. We use that quite a lot. Uh, they're a great company. It's a great gin and they've been using sanitizers since the very start so. and it smells just like the gin it does smell a bit like <laughs> gin yeah it does yeah but the packaging is good and listen those companies had to diversify as fast as they could yeah. and um, fair play to them because that's a real tricky business like if you're not if you don't have turnover for a couple of months in that kind of business you're in real trouble yeah. so fair play to them for getting on it
0: so what trends do you see coming on board now over the next couple of months? You're, you were saying now you're busier out in the road with the restaurants and the pubs that are, are doing um, food and obviously the pubs all being well, the wet pubs will be open again in a couple of yeah. um, weeks as well. So hopefully you'll be stocking them up and you've been busy doing the home deliveries
2: yes what we've seen is that uh, on the on the, uh, entree on the restaurant um, bar section what we've seen is that um, a lot of pubs have the fact they've opened with food means that they've actually put in a wine list into them which they probably hadn't before they may have had a couple of bottles and used quarter bottles a lot of them have pulled away from quarter bottles completely and gone onto bottles of wine because they'll find that if somebody's coming in and sitting down having a pizza they can actually sell them a bottle of wine much easier than it used to be and the fact that there's not this kind of jumping around between pubs that you had before when you're going in you're there for an hour and 45 minutes which means it gives you a chance to have a bottle of wine instead of having three quarter bottles in that space so uh, that's helped them a lot and that's been great for us because that's our our kind of calling card you know that we we, nothing we have is available in retail which means that really suits the restaurants and we've big choice we carry nearly over 500 products now so we can easily um, diversify in in the in the streets in a town with with wines, which has worked very well for us. And the whole market is is, is very good. And what we're finding is that people are spending a bit more. They just want to spend. They want to get something interesting, and they're willing to spend twelve, thirteen, fourteen euros on, it, which is great because that's the real quality. You get the real quality product
3: then.
0: And non-alcoholic options then. Do you see an increase in that side of the market? We were talking about gin there. I know you, you do a non-alcoholic gin we and tonic.
3: See,
2: we, well, we do that a noki which is a pre-mixed uh, one in a in, a, in a, long-nick bottle. And that's going very well. It's an Irish product. Then we have Cedar Crisp, which is a, a, a non-alcoholic gin. Um, now, what we've noticed is that the non-alcoholic products have, have dropped significantly in the last while, mainly because people have been at home. So you haven't had the issue of actually driving anywhere, and the fact that people are making more of an occasion going out means that they're probably not as 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 uh, prevalent as they used to be.
0: And is that a market that you see growing? It's, it's in Ireland, maybe not
2: so much. Uh, you need to have them, and and the wine is is fine. It's it's um, it's a really difficult to produce non alcoholic wine, really really difficult um, because a lot of the time you need to introduce heat to get rid of alcohol and that wine doesn't, doesn't uh, take heat well. Um, so oftentimes it can have a real kind of um, difficult flavor that's hard to get used to. But it, it is selling, listen, it's selling. And I've seen reviews, I've seen the, the, the Sunday Times the review two weeks ago on alcoholic wines and um, they give amazing reviews some of them amazing which you wouldn't agree <laughs> with by the look on your face <laughs> that was you know I've, and I know a couple of them because they actually sell a couple of them and that was great listen we used that as a tool but uh, it would have been uh, they were very they were very um, complimentary yeah absolutely
0: I look sometimes I think it's more a psychological thing yeah, a as, as opposed is, yeah. to the um, yeah. you know having something that tastes like wine like I, I'd i be quite partial to Heineken Zero myself mm-hmm. if if that's which the which goes
2: very well yeah
0: the situation I find myself in, and I think it, you know, it it
2: does a grand job. Yeah, absolutely, it does. Yeah, and we we've, we sell we a bit of Carlsberg zero zero as well, a Peroni, um, all selling well you know people like a choice they like to try a, a beer particularly i think the beers are, are a bit more closer to the mark than probably the wine is the wine finds it more difficult
0: but isn't it strange that there were non-alcoholic beers a few years ago but they just didn't seem to take off timing is everything with these things in the market isn't it
2: it is yeah caliber was one years ago. that's
0: right yeah um, billy conley ago. i think used <laughs> to advertise it
2: listen you had the same issues um You know, twenty years ago when Calibre was, and actually every pub had it. You know, it was. uh, But now it's just it's a different scene. You know, with with a health. it's not even driving. It's a health thing. You know that that um, we have a skinny beer out there, which is one that we've we've got in, um, which is it's just everything. It's it's low low calories, like eighty nine calories a bottle. It's kosher. It's uh, it's gluten free. It's vegan. It's everything. <laughs> I, I hate the sound of it. <laughs> Actually,
0: <it's not> that <laughs> it doesn't all. sound like it has anything going for it. Whenever you use all of those statements, it's a very attractive
2: bottle. Yeah, it's, it's it's and it's it's. away uh, way people buy it all the time. Um, that's
0: well. That's, there you go. Now look, you know, so, I think time and again is everything with these things. It, it has it alcohol. It has alcohol. Okay, yeah. it has yeah, alcohol.
2: Which is always yeah. plus. <laughs>
0: The timing is everything because sometimes the market isn't ready for these things, but in two years' time, it's ready and something really can
2: take off. Yeah, absolutely. Craft beer has found a has found a niche in this uh, the last few months that probably had difficulty with before because people are more inclined to buy craft beer in a shop than they are in a bar, because like that they'll chance buying four different bottles of beer for you know ten or eleven euros in a, in a in a shop and take them home and try them in their own time Um, but if they're going out to a bar they may not chance that you know they may not say oh god I'm gonna have a craft beer now I don't know what it's gonna taste like they haven't been out in two weeks this is their one time in two weeks they're getting out so they'll probably come back to the products they know a bit more than that but uh, we found it's done really well even though one the worst we sell a Killarney uh, brewery range here it's going really well for home deliveries, amazingly well. Fantastic. Uh, people like it. So we mix up a case. This comes a case of 12. We wouldn't sell a whole 12 probably to anybody. But we mix it up between six different varieties inside in that box, which means you get a couple of bottles of each.
0: Well, it is great to see the local breweries Absolutely. and the Irish gin yeah. distilleries doing well in such difficult times. And great to see that you know, you're still going strong. And we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks and Sharon. continued success. Thanks very much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was with Ron Forrestal at the Forrestal Wine Merchants Depot to find out what has been happening behind the scenes in the wine industry and here's hoping that as many vineyards as possible all over the world are able to recover from the adverse effects of the pandemic. If you are just tuning in now, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. The podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Still to come tonight, I travel to the village of Croke in West Limerick to meet Ursula Giltonen at D&M Garden Centre. Next though, we're heading to North Kerry. Many of you will be familiar with the delicious range of Hardy's jellies. The original hot pepper jelly is a personal favourite of mine and I've met founder Melanie Hardy on various occasions at festivals all over the country and she's also appeared here on the programme. So when Colette O'Connor from Delicious Kingdom suggested we meet Melanie in Lestol for a catch-up, I didn't hesitate in saying, yes please girl.
1: Bon appétit. Yummy.
2: Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm.
3: You too?
0: lots of things happening in your life with your business but I'm going to ask you to take us back to the beginning and the, the hot jellies tell
3: us about okay. that now um, I suppose first of all having lived in the States that's where I originally made them um, having never heard of a jelly before in Ireland before that and then when I came home after having a restaurant in Tralee for 10 years I started again to make them because times had changed it was the mid almost late 90s um, when I came home so by 2007 I was out of the restaurant business and got into started making them at local markets. And uh, then in 2009, I decided, right, get in or get out. So I decided to get in. So I um, changed the whole business model from a very local, once a week kind of a market and started going into the retail side and doing the food festivals. So, like many food producers, you started out at the market. Oh, yes.
0: And it's a savoury, it's not a relish. No. It's not a compote. It's like, it's very
3: yeah. specialised. It is. Um, they're savoury jellies, but you use them, what I say is like, if you think of how you'd use a relish or um, a chutney, you can use them the same way. Or you can put it on instead of your butter or mayonnaise. So if you think of where you put your butter or mayonnaise, sandwiches uh, with salads into dressings, you can use these instead. And it makes it easier to think about them because they are savoury jellies. Having said that, there's a mint jelly, which is sweet sweet but savory. Um, there's a roasted pepper, which is all sweet peppers. Again, it's a little bit sharp, so it's not super sweet like a jam. Um, and it's basically uh, to to lifen up a sandwich or a wrap or a bit of cold meat, that kind of thing, really. And keep it simple. And what was the first one? Because obviously you started with one product mm-hmm. and then the range mm-hmm. grew. Well, I had two in the States and one is a jalapeno pepper jelly, which is made with sweet green peppers and jalapenos, and the other was a hot pepper jelly. And they're the standard in the States and how they use them there is they have a red and a green so they get um, cream cheese, roll it into a ball, soften up the jelly a little bit because it's not a very hard set, pour it onto it, use a cracker and scoop it out and that's how you eat it. That's sounds no, nice. delicious. Yeah, it's great, it's lovely and the colours especially at Christmas time and all that. So I started with those two Uh, very different here and um, I thought it was great because at the time one of the big uh, sandwich chains were um, advertising their fiery jalapeno I said yes, I'm on the ball and actually it's amazing how um, marketing and, and promotions can go against you they thought it was too hot people said oh jalapeno oh that's very fiery that's way too hot so I had to do a relearning of everything to say that it's not. I don't make them very hot. I have gotten hotter over the years due to customers, but initially I made them quite mild. Well, I started out very hot and then had to bring it down to the, our customers here, which are totally different to the American market. So yeah.
0: the Irish taste buds
3: are very different to oh, the very US? Oh, so. yeah, I think we're, well, I don't want to say behind because we're ahead in so many other ways, but the trends come this way. They go from the east to the west, or from the west coast to the east coast to England to Ireland. So I was ahead of myself at the time time but now times have changed and now I'm making hotter jellies because people are looking for them you know so I have a range a bigger range I started with those two and then I realized two wasn't enough if I was going into a shop there wouldn't be you wouldn't see them so I originally launched with four of them three spicy so the hot pepper I added fresh ginger to it so it changed it totally and then the fourth one was the roasted pepper or the charcoal pepper jelly sweet jammy for the person who couldn't eat or didn't want chilies. I can. And you make everything yourself by hand. Um, Now I do. Uh, Initially I did and then because I wanted to um, conquer the world I suppose I realised I couldn't do all of that and my experience from having a restaurant and staff and the costs and leasing and all of those costs, I decided to outsource the production. But what I always did was I developed the flavours myself, I test them at the markets and food festivals, and then I go in, to the. To, it's a small factory, go in there and uh, we develop the flavour again to, or the recipe to suit the bigger production. Now, there was a positive to that. It meant that I could focus totally on the uh, promotion and the sales and I had the consistency behind me. And the other positive was that all HACCP regulations, all uh, BRC regulations, everybody would accept my product because it was backed up with all of that. The negative is it's larger quantities. The other negative was I lost what I loved, which was the creation of, of uh, you know um, I was very much sales and the other is that you're then constantly doing promotion all over the country because you now have stock you need to move so now I've come back full circle and did you miss being in the kitchen I did you lose your creative side because it's a different way when you're running a business you need to do, have both and I found I was sitting in the car driving doing a lot of thinking which is not always good because it can get you into trouble and also I'm um, doing a lot all the background paperwork and so I would only get into the kitchen in the January of February when it was quieter on the retail side to develop. And by then, you have to change your mindset over. So that takes a while as well. Yeah, I think that's a challenge for food producers, especially when they're starting out. Like yeah. their
0: major skill is making the product yes. and maybe that's what they love, being mm-hmm. in the kitchen mm-hmm. and making the product. Mm-hmm. But of course, that doesn't sell the product. No. That doesn't get the branding side of it on the social media, the marketing. Yes. You know, being at the, the festivals mm-hmm. that you're talking about, mm-hmm. which is absolutely critical to new producers. Oh,
3: it is. I mean, I did, like I said, I did the advert market at the very start on a Sunday morning. So that was customers who were coming from... A over the place they didn't know me at all because the one thing that was fantastic was after having the 10 years in Tralee in the restaurant and then being in Lestol for with um, working in the restaurant which is now Eva Jones here um, I had a great support but I always thought you know like they're buying it because they know me let's see if they'll buy it again without you know afterwards because that to me I always said the third jar sold is I'm in business then the first is because they might like me the second is oh I might give it to a friend and the third is I like the product because I prefer they like the product over me because that fails, basically, at the end of the day.
0: I want to find out a bit more about the restaurant Mm -hmm. that you had in Tralee because, Colette, you were saying earlier that it was a fabulous restaurant that you used to go to regularly.
1: absolutely beautiful, the cookery. I remember going there with my mum, you know, and we were, I'd say, for years, and it was just... Never mind the food you'd walk in it was the atmosphere first of all it was just like walking into you know I don't know it felt like a warm blanket when you walked in there and you sat down and the food was uh, particularly associated with autumn and our Christmas shopping and going back to Tralee and getting the beautiful lovely slow cooked stuff lovely kind of meats and things and really good vegetables and it was just lovely lovely you know and I I have to say my mum now and I'm sure it's it's fantastic now but she kind of always associated eating out in Tralee with the cookery Yes, has not eaten out in Tralee since 11 years is it?
3: It thousand uh, yes. and six. 2006, 2006. Yeah. it was 2009 I started the okay. Jellies thing. Yeah, 2006, 2006. I, moved, yeah, I moved out of it. Um, 10 years, it was 96, 2006 I had been in the restaurant business my whole life mm. after, after growing up and had trained in it and all that. And I decided I was starting to burn out mm-hmm. and I was starting to not really like what I love and I said, you know what, it's time to go. And I also had, I felt enough to- years, because I'm not young anymore, to do other things and so what I did was when when I sold there I moved over to Listole and I managed the front of house for my head chef who took over a restaurant in Listol. That's Johnny Breen. That's Johnny Breen fantastic. Yeah. yeah.
1: Fantastic yes. chef yes. and in knows well. And Listowl Yes exactly
3: and yeah. I actually some of my very good chefs came from Listole and they're all gone you know what I love about people I worked with and I had a great team in there mm. I never had to fire anyone they just knew if they didn't fit in move on and the other side is that uh, most of the staff either made a jump up which is to me a compliment to us or a lateral move that would help them jump up you know, mm. to a next level, uh, and then some. used it and but we were all professionals in there, and that's the thing. I mean, John, one John was amazing.
1: Very skilled chef, yeah. He is, yeah, yeah, yeah guy. he is a yeah,
3: fantastic yeah. guy. And um, then, so when he opened here, I came over to help him out. But it also, I went back down to a 40-hour week, which is fantastic. So then I got bored. I was like, right, time to start making my jellies again because I'd always planned it, but I had realized while I was here first that it was too early. Mm-hmm. So I started making them in the kitchen, in Eva Jones, because that was perfect, and I didn't have to have it at home, I yes. learned that as well, to keep it out of the house kitchen, um, just for myself rather than anything else. And I sold at the Trulieve Country Market, oh, where right. nobody knew who made them, so that was like a blind sale, which was great, and the Sunday morning market in Artvert, and that's what started me out. And then uh, the Lestore Food Fair.
0: You were a great
2: visitors to the Lestore Food Fair. Oh yeah, fair. yeah. Oh, but they
3: were very good to me, very, and they always have been. It's great to hear. And that's where I met um, Nevin Maguire initially. He was, do- he was the, the guest speaker, yeah. and I had my little box, and I was so nervous, I was like, oh, but, I, you know, I'd have to say hello. And we've been friends ever since, and he's, he's a, a fantastic... Yeah. Oh, totally, but he's a fantastic promoter of small producers. And due to him, I've travelled all over the country, backing him up as a producer within his um, cooking demos and all that, and that's how I met you, that's how I've met loads of people around. And to go back to what you were saying, Sharon, the, the networking of the food festivals is key not just the customers and the sales but the networking between the food producers themselves you can ask them the questions that you don't want to anyone to know you don't know you can start to meet people like nevin and brian mcdermott and all these people who are so positive that it's just kind of like you know you have awful days when you're going what am i doing this for i'm making no money i love it but it's not paying the bills how do i do this and that's they kind of reinforce that keep going Keep ploughing away with it, you know. And have you found now because
0: this year there's no Dingle Food Festival oh. or there's no ploughing, all mm-hmm. of those mm-hmm. have
3: had to be shelved. So yes. that the market side of it has that had a major impact? It's fifty percent of my business. What I did over the ten, I'm doing it, I suppose, just over ten years. And last year I was, I'm also back into a little bit of the catering because I was missing the hands-on cooking side of it. Um, so I started to do that a little bit with Mark uh, doing just cooking in, in various. In, uh, near Killarney or Far and Four um, and then I started looking and I thought you know air experience and air through Airbnbs and I thought I've been doing that all my life without thinking about it because I grew up on a, uh, a dairy farm guest house in the 70s so the food was there the people were there so that's food tourism it's just, I didn't put it together that way. And I was looking at it and I said, how can I do what I love, which is incorporate my jellies into an experience for people? And because I wanted to reduce my travel time, I wanted to reduce my business costs, I wanted to go back to making myself. So last year I decided, right, I'll go into the food experiences, I'll go into the food festivals. March this year comes, and suddenly everything's closed. And I went, oh, God, right, let's go back to my shops that are really good and very supportive of me and say, guys, I've changed it, I'm back making myself, I'm rebranding, I'm getting very small, will you still support me? And they're going, yeah, bring them in. So now I'm very much Kerry and West Cork. And because I had to look at the business coldly and cut, 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 you know, I stopped places that would only take a small amount. It gives them the shelf space back to, to sell something that sells faster. You know, it works for all of us. Um, I cut out people who don't pay me immediately. I'm not a bank for anyone, especially now I can't afford to, even without COVID. And I said, who do I like and who will accept that my new flavors, if I want to make a dozen of something and see will it sell, they'll take it in for me, knowing that it might, it's, it's a one off possibly. So I do that. Now I will sell, on, I do sell online. I I will send it anywhere, but I'm just not doing the travelling anymore. But then, because of COVID, all my festivals went. So I like, what do I do then? And that's where I decided to do the the food experience. So I rent out um, just cook and cookery school on a morning. What you do is you can book it through Air Experiences, which is Airbnb. which you you can go into without ever staying in an Airbnb? But they advertise me if you're booking an Airbnb in. Truly area or this area, um, they'll send you the experiences around. So I get the advertising through that. But and also this is partly why I'm you know I'm, I'm revamping my website to incorporate it in there as well. And you can also call me myself or email me on info at heartysfoods.com I use the one email. I'm not confusing everyone with different ones, keeping it all because it's basically food and people, which goes back to what I started with. So what we do is I you arrive um what you do is, your job is to prepare everything for your breakfast. So you're working for your breakfast, really. But you learn how to make soda bread. You have your own individual soda breads. I make the scones at the same time, and I sh- it's very interactive. Very hands-on. Very hands-on, of it. yes. Everybody takes home their own little soda bread. So you have to figure out how to know yours. And, of course, there's huge competition in it that gets the g- going. But in the meantime, then, I use um, two types. I use uh, Anuskal Black Pudding the history Beautiful. there I yeah. I love oh, that home yeah the straight. guys are great fabulous background fabulous story to it and it's the square cake and then I compare that with another friend of mine I know what's going over the border into West Cork but I do she has a free range um, pig farm and they do their own bacon and black and white pudding but they do the round one and it's very different so that's another talking point is that Bag? Um, yes it is Avril, Caharbeg Avril, Avril yes. yes very good yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <Another laughs> you one see we all know each other from, yeah, <laughs> very small I'm, I'm, yeah. And she supports me using my jellies and hers and vice versa. And then Quinlan's uh, smoked salmon. Another great story. So, And then I use the free-range eggs. I can use Artfert or, or Beaufort, whichever is closest to me. And you make your soda bread, brown or white, you can choose. I make the scones. You make out a platter of smoked salmon with creme fraiche and chives. I'll do the boiled eggs. I don't do a fry. We don't cook breakfast. You arrange it all, and it all pops into the oven. It comes out. You arrange your platter how you want. I'll take the photographs. So it's a, and then you sit down to eat it all with tea and coffee, and you're gone by half eleven.
0: Fabulous. Yeah. So there's education there in terms of how to cook stuff. There's education, yes. and as in the, you know, the provenance mm-hmm. providence yes. of the ingredients is mm-hmm. all very local. So they're getting to know about yeah. local producers as they're well. Get, yeah, and it's the, very
3: authentic. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. I know these people, the the producers, so well that I can say what the what it looks like and I tell stories about them and and things like that and then I go back and tell them stories about because growing up on the dairy farm we had our own beef we swapped it for um, pork or lamb with the butchers we had our own vegetables, we had our own milk, our own cream our own butter, everything like that so it was a natural to me and then we also, and everything is, is done by hand, everything And now I do have a little bit of tools like wooden spoons and and pastry cutters, but it's all done by hand. And I tell how we did it, which is what I still do today. And that's what I missed when I got too big, the hands-on and that kind of thing. And then I also do a range of jams, which I only did for the food festivals last year. And this year, since there are no food festivals, people have been calling me. So now, unknowingly, I also have added a range of six jams. But they're only in certain shops. They're only in shops who've asked me for them. And the other side is something I never thought because now I do my own labelling. I have a little machine. I've gone way back. I'm a lot smarter now than when I started out. If I'd done this at the start, I might be where I am now back then. But I wouldn't have had all the story and the journey and the friends and the people I know in the last but 10 is years not all the fun? Oh it is oh god yeah if you don't love what you do forget it because it's, it's too much hard work otherwise but now I actually do um, say like for Mahers in um, Mahers Butchers in Killarney I do a strawberry and apple jam just for them with their label on it because I can print off the labels do it in small batches they asked me had I ever heard of it I said well, yeah, of course. But, well, my mother used to make it. I said, right, I'll give you a few samples. And he said, yeah, I want that one. So it's just for them. And that's happened um, West Cork, Manning's and Belly Licky. I do one for them. Uh, that's actually the jalapeno jelly. They've loved it. And they, and they have a core um, group of, of customers who love it. So that's for them. So I've actually expanded in my small little way into another side. But it's all controlled by me
0: and you seem to be very happy with it oh yeah like it's, your it's coming together. your passion is is very
3: evident well it's still there but it's only it's only food. it's I, all I know about is food and very little, but that's all I know about.
0: <laughs> Listen, thanks for meeting us today in Stowell to to yeah. tell us about it. If people want to find out more about where to get the products mm-hmm. or the
3: experiences, I'm in the process of changing the website, so some of it's old, some of it's coming new, but the it is up online and the uh, list of uh, shops are on there. The other is um, infotartisfoods.com. Just email me or um, on my Facebook. Just google my name and you'll find loads of ways it's amazing what google can do now um of contacting me and i you can book you don't even have to go to air experience or anything you can book directly with me and if if you do look at it on on airbnb and you see the calendar call me anyway because i work for myself so i can adjust great yeah
0: well thanks so much thank for you very us today. much both of you great to it's see great you again. it's great
3: to be in the stall. it is, always is <laughs> lovely do oh i know i know the problem is i could i could almost live here too <laughs>
0: You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was with Colette O'Connor from Delicious Kingdom to meet Melanie Hardy from Hardy's Foods and it was great to get a reminder of Melanie's story to hear parts of her personal and professional journey that I wasn't aware of and also to learn about her plans for the future. And earlier in the programme I met Ron Forrestal at the Forrestal Wine Merchants Depot to find out what has been happening behind the scenes in the wine industry. If you are just tuning in now you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Now, our final interview this evening took me to the village of Croke in West Limerick. D&M Garden Centre is a well-established family business that has been in operation for over 30 years. And I met one of the clan, Ursula Giltonen, who has recently returned to Ireland to join the family firm and is championing Irish food and drink producers. Let's have a listen.
2: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up.
3: Delicious. Mmm.
0: Ursula, there's been lots of changes here at D&M since I was last here, including your good
1: cell. You've just moved back from Scotland. Yes, yeah, in the last 13 years over in Edinburgh working in hospitality, so came back for a break in January and uh, ended up staying here with the circumstances that is at the moment. <laughs> And you're part of
0: the family business here because it has a very long established history. So tell us a bit of the
1: background to D&M. Oh Lord, how long have you got? <laughs> so uh, we're over 30 years in business. Uh, started off selling fruit and veg in a van with dad. Um, and grew our own potatoes, sold our old strawberries out in the road, three of us. Um, And I just developed into a shop, a garden centre, and then the restaurant throughout the years, yeah, so it's a family business, my brother is, the garden centre, and the restaurant, and we have a guest house then as well. Um, So yeah, over time it just grew and grew, and grew arms and legs. (laughs) My dad is a very ambitious and driven man, so he always has different ideas, and mum is a workaholic, so Yeah it all worked out well and I'd say you have inherited a combination of all
0: of those skills and part of your passion here is supporting local food and drink producers
1: oh definitely yeah and that was the idea when I came home um, in January when I decided to take over the restaurant with Tom my brother um, especially in these times to support locally um, and to get local produce in supporting businesses and the communities around us uh, I think it's It's important. And I see some of the very well-known local
0: drink producers here, Addie Flynn, for example, they do fabulous apple juice and they're not a million miles away
1: from you. No, and I love them and their juices are amazing. You can see we have a big display of them there um, and they're so popular. Um, we get the men and they're gone again, but they're amazing, yeah, and people in actually find are so lovely. Yeah. And another product that's always very popular
0: is local honey, and you have your own bees here.
1: <laughs> we have our own bees, yeah, down the back of Dad's Tunnel. Um, and someone comes in then and makes us honey and gets us, the bees are busy at the moment, so we've jarred the honey coming in the door at the moment, um, and it's lovely, really, really nice. Well I think food and drink always goes very well with events
0: and we're very restricted at the moment as to what events we can hold but you have been brainstorming with a friend in Dublin to bring a programme of events to D&M.
1: Yeah so Bridget she's um, my cousin and a very close friend of mine and she's living in Dublin at the moment, a nutritional therapist and a qualified yoga teacher. She's absolutely amazing and I love yoga myself, love meditating. And I was just thinking, you know, what can we do to bring that here and, you know, to get a safe space for someone just for an hour, breathing space. So we came up with the idea of Well Now events. Um, And their first one is running on the 21st of September, which is sold out, and it's to do with gut health and immunity. Um, And we're delighted that Sisu, which is another Irish company who do um, smoothie products and kombuchas, and I just want people to get more knowledge of the benefits of kombucha, which is a fermented tea um, as I previously mentioned to you, people were saying that I had some notions bringing all these things into the restaurant. But um, they're actually lovely and they have great benefits and a great alternative to, to fizzy drinks as well. But um, Bridget is the one to talk to about that. So, but the other events that we're doing is... Um, stress management and meditation, yoga for pregnancy, and I've just put up online um, a four-week course on yoga. So it will be flow yoga, and it's for all levels, and that starts in October, the fifth of October. You must be delighted at the response
0: from the public to the events that whenever you just put them up online on your social media, I presume. Yeah. And the reaction is great, and there, and like people put their their money where their mouths is, because you know the way sometimes it can be quite difficult to get people to commit
1: to things. Do you see a difference in people's attitudes now since the COVID? Oh, definitely. And I suppose, do you know, any event that's going to go ahead at the moment is that oh, something to go, something to do, you know, as well. Um, And for this, it's just time out for yourself as well, because we're so caught up on this COVID-19, you know, so caught up on what we can do and the restrictions that we have. So it's just a little time to ourselves and, lives are busy all our lives are busy and we get so bogged down i suppose sometimes as doing myself during lockdown i was going out of my mind (laughs) so it's a nice little safe space for an hour a week um get some nutritional tips as well from bridget and get some goodies and just enjoy some time to yourself You've done a lot
0: of work on the space since I was last here. Like it's, it's been revamped. Tell us about some of the changes you've made.
1: Yeah, so um, Tom, my brother, he's great with ideas and decorating. Um, it was a, a family job, so mum, dad, myself and Tom He did the garden centre type, the side of it, the design of it. Um, And the idea is to combine the garden centre with the restaurant. So anything that you see in the refurb of the restaurant, you can buy down to the lights that are hanging on the ceiling. Wow. Um, The colours of the wall, we can can resource them for you. Anything that you see in there, you can buy. Um, And that's the same with the crockery that we we picked out. You can buy the plates, the mugs, anything. and then with the fruit products, as I said, I wanted to menu and I wanted to sell products that were all Irish and locally sourced. So we mentioned a few of the producers already. Um, and yeah, it's going really, really well. People are loving it. It's different. It's bringing something different um, to the village and it's getting great response You've done a lot of
0: work personally to research the Irish food and drink producers that are out there I, I would imagine that can be quite challenging at times because sometimes they're not the best to promote themselves they get very bogged down and spend time in the kitchen and production yeah. because that's what their, their passion is. Have you any advice for a producer that might be listening out there that might say gosh they, they haven't heard about me yet
1: Do you know what, it's, what I find it's all about now and I don't know if it's it's all social media now and i find that as well promoting here um it's all instagram and facebook which i am not great at at all it takes me about two hours to post one sentence <laughs> oh, but i think it's just getting yourself out there getting rid of that fear of um advertising yourself for me what i did to research i went into the milk market as well um with mam and we went around and seen what was you know speaking to the people that are producing these like, people do lovely things inside there and they could be going out into restaurants it's just getting yourself out there I suppose
0: So don't be afraid to come through the door here with some samples. Oh, exactly.
1: Definitely. Like I'm a big foodie. Bring any samples you want. (laughs) I love my food. Um, Yeah. So I guess that's an advantage as well um, when you're a foodie and going around trying different things. So, yeah, definitely. In terms of the long term vision
0: for the business, what are your goals and objectives? Where would you like to see the business going in, say, a couple of years time? Oh, Lord.
1: Um, well, with the Well Now events, I would like to develop that into more. And we're getting good response from it now already, which is great. So I'd like to develop that within the restaurant. Um, in terms of the restaurant, at the moment, with the way things are going, we're just fingers crossed that we, we stay open at the moment and things keep going on the up because it's up and down and I think it is for every business and every family business. It's so difficult to know what's going to happen next.
0: The garden side of things must have been busy during lockdown because a lot of people, that's what they were spending their time. I know my husband certainly made a phone call or two to to Dermot here and Thomas looking for a few bits. There was a great service there delivering whatever
1: people needed. I'm telling you, the um, gardens are pristine around uh, Limerick anyway because we were so busy um, delivering for the months of lockdown and the weeks of lockdown Tom was crazy busy. I think people that never even did their gardens were gardening. <laughs> I certainly didn't know the difference between a plant and a weed until because I was out <laughs> delivering for Tom going all around the country um, in Dad's car. So yeah, we all worked the whole family when Mum was down we were all down the tunnel and getting together to do it but it was great and it actually kept us busy and you know we're very grateful for it and so grateful for the local support that we got during it as well. Well it's great to see the whole site
0: by open. Go- now and that you're supporting local yourself and and hopefully people will come in then and have a coffee and enjoy lots of the other goodies there that are here and and take a bag of them home
1: oh definitely yeah (laughs) yeah and it's great a lot of people are coming back um and they're loving it um and it's great yeah and people are delighted to see it's back opening so yeah hopefully things will go back to some bit of normality um yeah, we can just look positive, be positive. Absolutely.
0: And if people want to find out what's happening here, where's the best place for them to go to get
1: all the details? Instagram and Facebook, and um, we're just up- updating our website now as well. We're going to be hopefully doing click and collect online for the garden center, which has become a big thing especially throughout this. Um so yeah, social media and uh, bear with because I'm, be- <laughs> I'm not the best I'm not the best with it. I'm learning as I go. Um, But yeah, or just get in contact. Come in, come in for a coffee and sit down and have a chat. Fantastic.
0: (laughs) Well, listen, thanks for having a chat with me today and I look forward to seeing what else you have in the pipeline. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks.
2: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm.
0: That was Ursula Giltonen in D&M Garden Centre in the West Limerick village of Croke. Before we finish up tonight, I must let you know that Pigtown is back this year in Limerick and it kicks off this Thursday with a special €45 menu in the fabulous mustard seed. I think that's fully booked, but the festival does run until the end of October and there's lots of other dining events and they're all designed to celebrate Limerick's food culture, its food producers and famous food heritage. Um, You might be aware of Pigtown, which started four years ago. It was developed by the Limerick Food Group which is a voluntary group and it's supported by Limerick City and County Council and um, the theme of this year's festival is support local which is very apt with many businesses fighting for survival. So it is more important than ever to support local producers, market traders and restaurants. In addition to the mustard seed there are dining events in 1820 Six Adair, the Limerick Strand Hotel, the Corn Store, Number One Perry Square and lots more. So for full details about the festival programme, visit the website pigtown.ie and look out for updates on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And that brings us to the end of the programme this evening. My thanks to tonight's guests, Ron Forrestal, Melanie Hardy and Ursula Giltonen and a special thanks to Colette O'Connor from Delicious Kingdom. Until next week, bon (laughs) appétit.